0: Want to improve your leadership skills, achieve your business goals, or grow your ministry? Marketplace Ministry Coaching can help. I have helped countless kingdom-minded entrepreneurs and ministry professionals to unlock their full potential and achieve their goals. Sign up for coaching now and take the first step towards success. Visit MarketplaceMinistryPodcast.com slash coaching to learn more. You're listening to Marketplace Ministry, a podcast for kingdom minded entrepreneurs that examines business through a biblical lens. Your business is a calling, and when done well, brings glory and honor to God. Let's get into the show. This is Marketplace Ministry, a podcast that edifies and encourages kingdom minded entrepreneurs to glorify God in the marketplace. My name is Jason Smith, and on today's show, I want to talk to you about getting your money right. Now, if you're going to move into 2023 and you're going to have your best year ever, you need to get your money right. One of the biggest problems in life is not knowing how to handle money properly. This is a problem when it comes to personal finance and business finances. If you want your 2023 to be your best year ever, it's time to get a handle on both Of these areas of your financial life let's start off by talking a little bit about personal finances the best advice or teaching that i have found when it comes to personal finances is from dave ramsey when dave was a young 20 something he was living the life of a prosperous real estate investor most of his wealth was tied up in loans then one day the bank decided to call the loans and in the blink of an eye dave lost everything. He was bankrupt with a wife, a child, and one on the way. Devastated by this, he did what any one of us would do. He turned to God for help. As he began searching the scriptures to see what God's word said about money, he began to see God's pattern for financial success. Time and again, he found scriptures that revealed the stupidity of borrowing money. Every time there was an opportunity to borrow, there was a warning from God. The borrower is slave to the lender. Then he found the key to getting out of debt in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6 says, My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself, plead with your friend, give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. This scripture showed Dave one thing. He said right there in the beginning of this verse, it says, if you've gone into debt, this was God's recipe for how to get out of debt. If you've gone into debt, deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Perturbed by this, Dave didn't understand why he would get an animal metaphor when it comes to getting out of debt. He later that day was watching National Geographic Channel and he saw gazelles, gazelling around. And then there was also the cheetah, coming out to have dinner. Well, the cheetah springs out and starts to run after the gazelles, and they begin to zigzag away. And as they do, the cheetah eventually gets tired and worn out and stops in his tracks. Dave has said that the cheetah is only successful in one out of 19 catches. When he saw that, he began scratching and clawing his way out of debt. Pretty soon, others began to notice, and he started teaching them. The rest is history. Eight out of ten families are living paycheck to paycheck, and there seems to be more month left at the end of, of the money. Have you ever been there? I have been there. I have been there. It always seems like you just get just enough to get ahead, and then the car breaks, and you got to turn your money over to get the car fixed. Or something else, the water heater goes out, or, or the water pump on your car goes out. And it seems like every time you're trying to get ahead, something breaks, and you have to fork over money, or there's a birthday that you didn't even budget for. So there's a lot of things going on in our personal finances that can catch us unawares at times. But how how do you manage your money? How do you get to where you're not living paycheck to paycheck? How do you get to where you have less money stress in your life? You know, the money stress and money problems are the leading cause of divorce in marriages. So what can you do? Dave's roadmap to financial peace is a seven-step process that he calls the baby steps. And if you do his process exactly as he instructs, you will be successful in getting out of debt and building wealth for your family. I know because I've done this. I started with Dave Ramsey years ago, and we started clawing and scratching and getting ourselves out of debt until that, until one day I had a harebrained idea. I was like, hey, you know what, hun?" we could save money and pay off our debt faster if we moved in with your parents. How stupid was that? You know, that was that was stupid. And I'll tell you why, in hindsight, why that was stupid. It sounded like a great idea at the time. I was thinking, man, we won't have to pay rent. We won't have to pay utilities. We'll have all this extra cash that we'll be able to throw at our debts and we'll get out of debt faster. We'll be able to save up money, buy a home. This was all my thought process. But then when we made it into the home, we got lazy. That's right, you heard me, we got lazy. We didn't budget the way we should have budgeted. We completely disregarded everything that we were taught by Dave Ramsey, and we ended up causing ourselves to backtrack. So we didn't do what Dave Ramsey taught us, even though we had led Financial Peace University four times, and now I am in a place where I am teaching Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover again. But I tell you what, we failed Financial Peace University. We we started doing it. We did a good job up until the moment that we moved in with my in-laws. At that point, it was all over, it was all over. And it is just because we got careless with our money because we didn't have that. It would have been better, it would have served us better if we stayed living in the apartment that we were in And we just, you know, cut more things out of our, our budget that we weren't willing to cut out at that time. So you have to have a budget. That's the very first thing you have to have in order to get out of debt. And when you have a budget, you feel like you've given yourself a raise. It's true. It is so true. When you have a budget, it feels like you've given yourself a raise because now you're telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. I remember when I was 16 years old and I was working my first job at Meijer as a bagger. I got my tax forms at the end of the year and I was amazed at how much money I made and I thought to myself, wow, where did that all go? (laughs) Oh, it went to McDonald's and fast food and gas in the car and all kinds of stuff that as a kid I thought I needed, but I didn't. If I was smart, if I had the knowledge then that I have now, I would have saved that money. I would have been able to buy myself a car. I would have been able to put money into the bank to buy a house when I got married, but I didn't. I was irresponsible. Hi, I'm Jason and I failed with money. Yes. Hi, Jason. Great. So you gotta have a budget. Budgeting is important. Well, how do you how do you write a budget? How do you create a budget? It's very easy and it's gonna sound foreign when I start explaining it here on the show because I think it's easier to see it than it is to hear about it. But I'll do my best to describe it as best as I know how. So the first thing you do in creating your budget, you need to gather up all of your sources of income. If you work, if your wife works, if you have any side income that comes in from side gigs, or you have alimony that comes in, whatever, wherever is Income to you. You need to write that all down on a sheet of paper and total it all up because that is your monthly take home pay. You're going to need that first. Once you have your monthly take home pay, I want you to look back over your checkbook or your bank accounts and look back over the last, I don't know, three months and get an idea, get an average of what you've spent on the different things that you spent money on. Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. If you do this, if you look back over the last three months, it is going to sicken you because you're going to see every time that you went out to eat and pretty soon you'll find out that you spent four or $500 on dining out and you're wondering why you can't pay your car payment. You're wondering why you're always late on your mortgage or your rent. It's because you're eating your income and that's going to hurt. It's going to make you have to confront some things. The only way you're going to be successful in budgeting is confronting these habits. Your money, if you look at your checkbook, your check balance, your bank statement, that is going to be a reflection of your values. What did you value in life that was so valuable to you that you put your money there? If you value subscriptions like Netflix and Hulu and Disney and all of that, do you really value that? Is that where your highest values are? Is going and getting a snack at the gas station where your highest value is, it shouldn't be. If, if what you truly value in your heart is not reflected on your bake statement, then you're gonna find out for a minute that that's not what you truly value. You're giving lip service to the things that you value, but you're not really valuing the things that you say you value. So when you get this smack in the face, when you look back and you see all the things you're spending money on, You're going to need to make a decision to stop doing some things. You're going to need to make a decision to cut things out of your budget. But let's not jump to that conclusion just yet. I want you to get an average of what you're spending. So figure out what is your rent? What is your tithe? What is your offering? What is your utilities? What is your food? uh, uh, How much are you spending on food? How much are you spending on pets, medications, um, insurance? Write all of this stuff down. And once you do... Total it all up and find out what your average monthly expenses are. Now, here's where it gets fun. If your average monthly expense is greater than your income, you have a problem. You are financially unwell. The goal of the budget is that your income minus your expenses should equal zero. What does that mean? That means that you have given every dollar a name on purpose before the month begins. So it's January, and we are talking about budgeting. We should be writing our budget for February right now. Well, Jason, how do you do that? Well, you project out. What are you expected to earn in the month of February? What are your pay- you know when your paychecks are going to hit, how much you expected to earn. Write that all down. Total it up. Put it at the top of the page. That's your monthly take-home pay. Now, the first thing that you do in your budget is you tithe. The reason why that's first is a lot of people wait until they pay their bills and get their groceries and take care of their house before they want to write their check for their tithe. And by the time you do that, you're going to find out real quickly that you don't have enough to tithe. So the first thing that comes out of your check is your tithe and your offering. Now, how much should your offering be? Well, that's, that's great because that's between you and God. Corinthians talks about how you should purpose in your heart what to give. Not begrudgingly, but what do you purpose to give? Because God loves a cheerful giver. So what is it that you want to contribute? Do you want to give 5%? Do you want to give 10%? It doesn't matter. What are you going to give? And for most people, if if you're not sure where to start, the best place to start when you're budgeting like this is to start at 1%. Now you're going to think, Jason, 1%, that's just tipping God. You know what? You're trying to get your house in order. And to get your house in order, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. Yes, you have a heart to give. You are a giver, and you want to give as much as you possibly can. But right now, you need to stop the bleeding, and you need to take care of yourself first. You're no good to anybody else if you can't take care of your own house first. So let's do our tithe, because the tithe is honoring God. It's respecting Him. It's honoring Him. It's remembering that all of your income belongs to Him, and that you trust Him to take care of all your needs. Then the second line on your budget is your offering. And If you're in a place where you cannot give an offering right now, do not give an offering. But if you are in a place where your heart is in the place where you want to give, then give 1% to get started. After we get through the giving section of our budget, we have to take care of the four walls, which is food, shelter, clothing, transportation, and utilities. So that means writing down your rent. Do you have what's your rent payment? What's your insurance on your house? All of that stuff. Put it all down. And then you move into the next category, your food, and you want to make sure that you have food budgeted for groceries. And if you're going to eat at restaurants, you have a category to put for restaurants. So write down that amount. We're not going to go out and spend $500 on restaurants now, are we? No, that doesn't make any sense. We're trying to get our, we're trying to write our financial ship. So we need to stop eating out at restaurants. Dave says it this way, you should never be entering a restaurant unless you're working there. That's the only time you should step into a restaurant. And in today's economy where prices are extremely higher than ever, you don't need to be going to a restaurant while you're trying to get out of debt. So get all that stuff written down. Once you have every dollar budgeted, you're going to look at the bottom number. You're going to take your income minus your expenses. If it is zero, you've done a good job. Congratulations. Every dollar has a name. If that number is positive, you need to go back and look at where you can put that extra money. If it's maybe you want to put some money in, extra money in savings, you could take that surplus and put it in savings. Or maybe you've got to the end of your budget, you have a positive number and you want to add that to your giving, add it to your giving budget. Or maybe there's something else that you aren't quite sure you need. You can add that to the miscellaneous category and just put that money aside in case something comes up. Either way, it has to be budgeted. If you don't budget it, money has a tendency to just leave. It's gonna go away and you're not gonna know what happened to it. So give it a name and then recalculate your budget, it should come out to zero. If when you subtract your your expenses from your income the, the number is negative, then you're going to need to go back through your budget and start cutting out things. One of the biggest expenses that most people have that dave always gets criticized for is their car payment i don't know what the car payment is right now in america um, at the time i was going through financial peace university it was around 500 dollars a month for 72 months um, i'm hearing reports that it's higher than that these days and if you have a car payment that is greater than your mortgage dude sell the car go get you a little little beater something to drive around in so that you can do your work and whatever you're not going to be in that car forever you just need to drive what you can now so that later you can drive like no one else tomorrow so if you can cut out your car payment if you have more than one car get rid of the car you don't how many cars do you really need honestly my i'm a one car family we could use another car I'm not going to lie. We could use another car because when I have the car, I'm at work. And then my wife is stuck at home with the kids. And sometimes that's not good for them. They need to be able to get out of the house. And not always are we able to have her drop me off at work. But when, when that is something that has to happen, it does happen. So we do have a need for another car and we'll get, to, we'll get there. It's not something I'm going to go out and buy a car. I'm not going to get a loan to buy a car. My goal is to save up enough money where I can go out and buy a little used car for maybe a couple thousand, $4,000 and just have that so that my wife has something that she can use to get out of the house, take the kids to a park, take them to a play place, something that they can do as a supplement to their, their homeschooling so that they're not sitting at home all day getting cabin fever, if you will. It can be a lot on little guys to be stuck in a home and not be able to do anything. So I do, that's a that's a goal of mine is that we're going to get there. We're going to get to a place where can, we can spend about two to $4,000 on a little car uh, for her. And then eventually I'd like to replace the one that I have and we'll get to that place as well. Um, but in the meantime, look at that. Look at your subscriptions. Are there subscriptions that you need to cut out? Um, you don't have to have cable. You don't have to have dish. You don't have to have Netflix and, and Hulu and ESPN and Disney. You don't have to have all these things. You know, there was a time when I was growing up where you paid for cable. Today, the number of subscriptions that we have—if you added them all up—they add up to more than the price of cable. That's ridiculous. So, are you gonna? <laughs> what are you gonna do? You can you can find better ways to spend your money. So lo- you gotta have those hard conversations between you and your and your wife. If you get to a point where you're thinking about ruling out a line item and you feel that pain, like, oh, I really want this. That's probably an indication that you don't need it. You need to cut it out and get rid of it. You need your budget to balance. You do. You are not Congress, so your budget has to balance. You can't just create more money or print more money. If you did, that would call, that'd be called counterfeiting and you'd be in jail. So the best thing for you to do is to live within your means. And that means we are not spending more than we make we're living on less than we make every month and so that's the idea with making a budget you've got to get your income your expenses and you need to assign all of your expenses to a category and get it to where your income minus your expenses equals zero that's the short of it now that happens before you start the baby steps. If you don't have a budget when you get into the baby steps, then all of this is not going to work for you. You have to have the budget. The second thing is now you're in the baby steps. Baby step one is where you save $1,000 in a starter emergency fund. Now, this is the easiest step. It's also the hardest step for some people. For some people, it's easiest because you already have maybe ten dollars $15,000, $20,000 sitting in a bank account somewhere that you put aside for a rainy day. That's great. Well, if you have debts, then what you're going to want to do is you want to take $19,000 out of that emergency fund and pay off your debts. Whoa, that sounds scary, Jason. Are you serious? I I can't do that. Look, if you have debts, then your balance sheet, your personal income, your balance sheet looks like you have assets and liabilities, and the liabilities subtract from your net worth while the assets add to it. So if you have $20,000 in your, in your emergency fund, but you have $19,000 worth of debt that needs to pay off, then from a balance sheet standpoint, you only have $1,000. Are you following? So what you need to do is you need to take that $19,000, pay off the debt, and now you're at your $1,000 starter emergency fund. If you make less than $20,000 a year, your starter emergency fund needs to be $500. It can be a little less. But the point of this is that it's there for emergencies. It's not an investment. You need to put it in an instrument that you can get easy access to so that when something breaks, you don't have to go put money on a credit card or take a loan to fix the car. You can just take your $1,000 and go fix the car. Okay, so that's step one. Get your thousand dollar emergency fund. Step two is pay off all of your debts except for your home, and that is easy when you use the debt snowball method, as Dave Ramsey teaches. The debt snowball is very simple, all you need to do is take a list of your debts, list them in order of smallest to largest total debt. So, if you got a little, a little $25 credit card, um, you got a hundred dollar medical bill, whatever it is, you just list it all the way down from smallest balance to biggest balanced. There's some people that will teach that you pay off your highest interest rate first, but that seldom works. What you need to do is you need to change your behavior. And if you can change your behavior and create these little wins and celebrations in your life, you start to get traction, you start to believe that you can actually do it. So you start by listing your debts from Smallest balance to largest, regardless of interest rate. And then what you'll do is you'll pay minimum payments on every debt. Minimum payments on every debt. And then on the little debt that you have, the littlest one, if you got extra money that you can get from a garage sale or a sale of some of your stuff on eBay or Facebook Marketplace, if you can just scrounge together a few dollars and pay that thing off, pay it off. Then you take whatever that minimum payment was from that small one And you roll it over to the next smallest one. So now you're paying on the second smallest one, you're paying its minimum payment plus the minimum payment from the previous debt because you freed up that money to be able to roll it over into the next debt. And now you're paying more on that debt, which means it's going to get paid off a lot faster. And once that one's knocked off, the the payment's going to roll over again. The snowball rolls over again, picks up more snow. So now we're taking the minimum payment from the first two debts and adding it to the third debt and we're knocking it out. Do you see how this works? It gets faster and faster and builds momentum as you do it. So you start to do the debt snowball this way and then eventually you'll be out of debt. Most people, by using the debt snowball method, are out of debt within 18 to 24 months. That's less than two years. What would your life be like in two years, if you didn't have any payments except for your home, what would that do for you? How much freedom would you have? How many options would you have? What could you do that you can't do right now because everything's tied up in your payments? Something to think about. Now, baby step three, this is fun. This is where we build up that emergency fund. So in baby step one, we only had $1,000. Baby step two, we paid off all our debt. Now that we don't have any payments on anything, it'll be very easy for us to build up our emergency fund to a proper three to six months of expenses if you're in a very stable job you'll probably want to go with the three months if you're in sales or there's a lot of uncertainty around the work that you do you'll want to have a six month emergency fund and that emergency fund is there just to take care of any needs that you may have in the event that you lose your job or something happens so we're going to build that up to three to six months of expenses. Once you complete that, and that only takes about 10 months or less. It doesn't take very long. So within two years time now, two and a half years, you have you have no debt except for your house and you have a fully funded emergency fund. That's within about two years, two and a half years. That's a pretty powerful position that you put yourself in. And then at this point, we move into baby step four, which is investing 15% of your income into retirement. Now, a lot of people when they start this journey are gonna be in a place where they've already been working and they've done things out of order and they already have a 401k with their company or a Roth IRA somewhere and they've already been contributing to it. Well, if that's you, when you're in baby step one, stop your, contr- your contributions. You need to bring home all of the money that you possibly can. And so stop your contributions in baby step one. Do not contribute again until you get to baby step four. And that means you're going to spend about two and a half years without putting money into your 401k. Leave your 401k alone. Just leave it there. It's going to grow in those two and a half years as the market goes up and down. It's going to grow, but you're just not contributing and you won't have the benefit of... Putting seed into that for it to grow. But what you do have is you have that income to take home, and that income when it comes home is going to help you. It's going to empower you. Your income is your biggest wealth building tool. And so far, a lot of people that are in this paycheck to paycheck situation and they just don't feel like they can make ends meet, it's because they've got their money doing multiple things at multiple times when they should not be doing that. Let's get some order. Let's put it in order because right now it's all chaos. Let's put it into order. Let's stop our contributions, start baby step one, get your $1,000, pay off your debt, build up your emergency fund, invest 15% at this point in retirement. You do your retirement first because you are going to retire one day. If the Lord tarries, you are going to retire one day. Baby step five is kids' college. Don't put money into kids' college before you put money in your retirement. Your kids may or may not go to college. Not everybody is cut out for college. But you want to save in an investment vehicle that's going to allow your kids that opportunity when they get there. Why should your kids have to go to college and take out a student loan? Have you seen the student loan crisis in America? Do we want to teach our kids that the best way to get a high paying job is to go to college and take out loans that they'll never be able to repay for the rest of their life? Because the skills that they've gone to school to learn are not preparing them for a job in the real world or the job that they do get in the real world has nothing to do with the degree that they went to school for? No. Let's give them an opportunity that we didn't have. Let's save up in an ESA or a 529 plan. You can research those on your own and figure out what's best for your family. But you you save in those education savings accounts so that by the time they graduate from high school, they'll be able to go to college if they want. And if they don't, okay, they don't have to go. But at least you've done your part. So we're doing baby step four is retirement. Baby step five is pay off kids college. Now, baby step six is where we pay off the house early. Now, this is where you're going to look at all of the income that you have left over, because right now you don't have any payments. There's no payments whatsoever. What you do have is you've got money going out 15% of your income into investments. You've got money going aside for college. Everything that's extra, you can throw at the house. And as you do this, Dave's team has seen people pay off their houses anywhere from seven to 15 years instead of the usual 30. So if you wanna get out of debt super fast, then you'll follow this process. By the time you pay off your house early, now you're in a beautiful situation. Can you picture it? You have no debt, no payments to anybody. You own your house. What could you do? What are the possibilities? What could you do with that money? This is the point where you get to baby step seven and you build wealth and give it away. One of my favorite entrepreneurs ever was Andrew Carnegie. And Andrew Carnegie left us a legacy when he died. All of the wealth that he built up he gave, he, he gave an endowment to the library system in the United States. And so now we have libraries because of Andrew Carnegie. And it's because libraries were important to him when he was a child. That's how he learned everything he knew. That's what made him into the businessman that he was, is because he went to the library and he read books for free at the library. What could you do? How could you impact your world? Could you pay somebody's electric for a year? Could you pay somebody's rent for a year? Could you go on a mission trip to Uganda or Pakistan? Or could you give food? Could you sow food to some ministry somewhere else? Could you take care of the poor in your community? What could you do if you had no payments and you were able to build and give wealth like no one else? Man, tell you what. I like the way Dave puts it. If we got ourselves, if we in America and anywhere that you're listening to this podcast, if we got ourselves right in our money, in our personal finances to the point where we're able to build wealth and give, we could put the government out of business. No longer would people have to go to the government for assistance. We could assist our fellow man. We could feed widows and orphans. We could help the poor. We could clothe the naked. We could heal the sick. We could set captives free, but it takes us getting in in control of our personal finances. Now, the next part of this episode, I want to deal with you on business finance. Now, the best teaching I've ever come across when it comes to business finance is from Mike Michalowicz in his book, Profit First. If you have not read this book, I highly recommend it if you're an entrepreneur to get a copy of it and begin to read it, begin to devour it and, and understand it because I've tried to do the Dave Ramsey baby steps and budgeting, the personal finance budgeting in my business before, and it didn't work. It didn't work for me in my business. It's because a business isn't the same as a household. Although the principles are the same, it's applied a little bit differently. And the way that Mike Michalowicz lays it out in Profit First, it made total sense to me. So here's what it looks like. In Profit First, Mike Michalowicz talks about taking your business income and separating it into four buckets and if you will these four buckets represent bank accounts that you're going to establish for these money and as revenue comes into your business you have to have a plan for where that money goes one example and this is not i'm not telling you this as this is the recipe for how you should run your business because in the book profit first he has a table that has recommendations for how you should allocate these different categories based on what level of business that you're doing. So if your revenue is at like $50,000 for a year to $100,000 a year, you might use one set of percentages. And if it's higher than that, you might use a different set. So you'll want to consult that book to find out the exact recipe for your business needs. But I want to just use the basic formula right here. So this formula is that you want to take your profit first. Too often, we, we talk about our revenue, and people think that revenue is how you measure a business, but revenue is not how you measure a business. A business is measured in its profitability. And what is profit? It is revenue minus expenses equals profit, right? Well, that's the way we normally write things, is that revenue minus expenses equal profits. But what we want to do is we want to turn that equation around and go profits first equals revenue minus expenses. So what we're going to do is we're going to separate things into certain buckets. First, we have our profit bucket. Let's say that you want to be 5% profitable this year. Great. So every time you bring in revenue, you take 5% of that revenue and you stick it in your profit account. The next thing that you'll do is you'll pay taxes because Uncle Sam wants his and he's going to get it and you're going to have to pay it. And if you don't, you might end up in jail. So the second thing we're going to do is we're going to take 15% of that revenue and we're going to stick it into a tax account. And this this account, both of these accounts, the profit account is an account where you're just going to hold your profits over time. And then the tax account is where you're going to hold your taxes over time so that you can pay your quarterly taxes when tax time is due. The next bucket is owner's salary or owner's wages. Now, in this particular recipe, we're going to take 50% of that revenue, and we're going to write ourselves a check, and that money comes home to us. That's our pay. And so we've taken that home, and then the last bucket, the last 30%, is operating expenses. And so this is going to cover your utilities, your bills, your supplies, anything you need that's going to run your business This is the bucket, the account that you'll put your money into for operating expenses. So let's backtrack. Make sure you're tracking with me. You get revenue in. 5% goes in the profit bucket. 15% goes into the tax bucket. 50% goes to you. And the remaining 30% stays in the business to take care of business needs. Now, if you do it this way, you're taking home a check of 50% of whatever your revenue is. So if you make $5,000 in revenue that month, you end up taking home $2,500. That's great. So now the question of tithing comes up. And I bring this up because a lot of people are confused with how to handle tithing when it comes to a business. Understand that when you create a business, when you go form an LLC or you create a corporation, you're creating another entity. It's as if it's a person that exists on paper, but that person has no relationship with God. That person doesn't exist outside of a legal document. Therefore, that person can't tithe on its income. And a lot of the ways that people look at business revenue is they say, all right, so the money that came in, this revenue equals my income. No, it doesn't. The revenue that comes in equals the business's income, not your income. So you cannot tithe on somebody else's money. Does that make sense? You can't tithe on somebody else's money. But what you can do is you can tithe on the money you take home. So when you pay your owner's wages, when you write that check to yourself, your check for $2,500, even though you made $5,000 in the business, your $2,500 check. You're going to make a tithe check for $250 to your church. Follow? Great. The reason why I want to make this distinction is because early when I started my first business, I thought I needed I thought that the business's income was my income. And a lot of people feel that way when they start a small business. They think that any money they get, they have to tithe on it. And that's a good attitude to have because that shows that your heart is oriented towards God. So don't hear this as condemnation. Don't think that I'm trying to convince you otherwise. If that's your heart, by all means, do it. I'm not, I'm not condemning you. But what I'm saying is you have to put things in proper perspective. The business's money is not my money. We keep it separate. The business money goes into one account. My personal money goes into another account. Does that make sense? Say yes. Great. So once we have established our boundaries and we know that this is business money and this is personal money, then the money we take home is what we tithe on. Tracking. Now, if we were going to tithe on the business, what do we tithe on? Do we tithe on the revenue of the profits? The Bible is very clear that you tithe on all of your increase. What is the increase in business? The increase in business is the profits. So you take your revenue minus your expenses equals your profit, right? If your profit is positive then that's your increase in the business. That's what you would tithe on, your profit. But most businesses, most small businesses in their first and second years of operation are not profitable because people, are, the people in their business are not handling money God's ways. So what happens is your revenue minus your expenses equals your loss. Would you tithe on your loss? No, because you lost it. You don't have that money to tithe on. So you would not tithe on your revenue, you would tithe on the money you take home. I hope I've made that very clear. And I wanna address these two problems that I noticed with business owners. Is the first problem is that they will reinvest all their profits back into the business and never take home a paycheck. When you do this, the business is self-sufficient, but your family's gonna suffer. Why would you work in something that you don't get to take home a paycheck? That doesn't make any sense. If I go to work, for a company, and they don't pay me a paycheck, I'm finding another job. I'm not going to stick around. I'm providing a service. I expect to get paid. If I don't get paid, sayonara, I'm going somewhere else. So why would you treat yourself that? Just because you run your own business, don't treat yourself like an employee who's not worthy of his wages. The Bible says that the, the laborer is worthy of his wages. So the work you do is is worthy of the money that you promise to pay yourself. So pay yourself and don't don't feel like you're stealing from the business because you're not. If you do this profit first and you give yourself an owner's salary, you can have confidence in knowing that that's the amount you can take home and that is your money to spend according to your personal budget, however you budget it. The second problem I see is that people will go the opposite way. They treat their business income as their personal income and they take as much of it home as possible. And when they do that, now your business isn't able to sustain itself and it is subject to failing. So I've been on both sides of that fence. I wish I would have had Mike's teaching when I started Petcore because it would have been so much different. I would have managed money differently had I had that knowledge in the beginning. Anything I do now, I follow the profit first model. And so that's how I manage my money in my business. When the money comes in, I put the certain percentage over to my profits. Now, I did tell you that the profits is like a holding account. This is where you're going to put the money and it's going to stay there. Well, once a quarter, you'll look at that profit account. You'll see how much it is. And guess what? Profits is something that you get to take home. So once a quarter, you'll determine how much you want to take home as like a bonus check. And you'll cut yourself a check from the profit account. Now, when you take your profits home, guess what? You tithe on your profits. But the money that stays in the business stays in the business. And you want to keep a little bit of the money back in your profit account because you want to have profit in your account. You're not going to drain it out once a quarter. You're going to keep a little bit in there. So maybe you keep 10% of your profits in your profit account and you pay out bonuses to yourself and to your team with the remaining 90% sounds good right everybody's getting a chunk of the profits your profit sharing people feel good about the work they're doing that's awesome but whatever your profit take-home is that's how much you're going to tithe on that okay then you've got your taxes and taxes come once a quarter so you take your taxes and you send money to the IRS once every 90 days then you've got the other money that's sitting in your expense account that money is strictly for the expenses of the business. You're not gonna use your personal money to buy anything in the business. You're going to use the money that you set aside for your operational expenses. I hope this makes sense. I hope this encourages you because it certainly helped me in my business. And I believe that if you can get your money right using these two principles, using Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University and Baby Steps to be able to manage your personal finances and you use Mike McAllowitz's Profit First that you will be able to succeed in your business and personal financial life in 2023. If you don't have a copy of Profit First, I'll have a link in the show notes. Full disclosure, this is an affiliate link for Amazon. So I'll get a small commission when you purchase the book through the affiliate link. If you want to be a contributor, if you want to help this podcast grow, Uh, We do have a support tab. You can go, you could click on the link in the show notes to support this podcast, buy us a cup of coffee, just say thank you for, for what we're doing. And that, that would mean the world to us. I appreciate all of you who are listening. And if you want to help us to take this message further, then please feel free to sow into this ministry and we would be forever grateful for that. It would show us that we're actually doing the work of God and helping people and business owners wherever they are in the world. Father, I thank you right now for those who are listening today. I thank you, God, that as I spoke today about personal finance and business finance, that that this message will take root in their hearts, that they will begin to meditate on it, they will understand it, they will come to to know how to manage their personal finance and business finances so that they can get out of the ruts that they found themselves in they don't have to be stuck God but they can go to another level financially than they've ever been before so i thank you God that you will cause them to have hope and that hope will drive them forward to to really make some actions take positive actions towards the goals that they've set in their lives i thank you father for those who are listening today call them blessed In Jesus' name, amen. Until next time, we call you to prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. Thanks for listening to Marketplace Ministry. What did God speak to you about during today's show? Join the conversation using hashtag Marketplace Ministry on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Got a question for the show? Email us at info at marketplaceministrypodcast.com or text us at 502-833-6136. Keep seeking God first and serving His people well and your business will prosper in Jesus' name. Attention all kingdom-minded entrepreneurs and ministry leaders. Are you looking to connect with like-minded believers and grow in your walk with Christ? look no further. The Kingdom-Minded Entrepreneur's Mastermind is here to help you discover your purpose, build your faith, and impact your world for Jesus. With only 10 seats available, this exclusive group meets once a week for 90 minutes to offer hot seats and encourage one another in their journeys. Don't miss out on this opportunity to be part of a community that will support and edify you for an entire year Sign up now for the Kingdom-Minded Entrepreneur's Mastermind, and let's make a difference together. Visit MarketplaceMinistryPodcast.com slash mastermind to learn more.